So for those of you joining us this morning for the first time, last week we launched a series, a three-week series based on a book by Stephen Furtick called Unqualified, How God Uses Broken People to Do Big Things. And I encourage you to go back and listen to our podcast from last week. Just a real skinny recap is we asked the question that many of you ask yourself, do I have what it takes to do what God's called me to do? We ask the question that some people in your past and maybe even some people today sit across the dinner table, sit across the cubicle, sit in your sphere and ask, ask you the very same question, do you have what it takes? And we asked the question that the devil, the chatterbox, consistently asks us when it comes to fulfilling the calling that God's given us, do, do you have what it takes? And, and, the, and the, the real simple answer is that God actually uses broken people to do big things. And you'll notice that the byline for this book in this series is not if God uses broken people to do big things. We're gonna move past that. You just saw a little bit of a, of a, of a highlight reel of some of the heroes of the Bible, all of whom were broken, all of whom, if you read your Bible, you'll come across and you'll discover they did big things. So the question that we're asking over these three weeks is not if God uses broken people to do big things. We're gonna say yes to that, but how does He actually do that? And so you can uh, get the podcast. I've got this book to give away. Um, the criminal that I was gonna give that to isn't here this morning. But I, and so normally I'd say, screw him and I'd give it to someone else. But I felt God want me to give this to him. So uh, I'm gonna give this to him and uh, you don't know who it is. Open your Elevate app, and that's your Elevate app, not the Pokemon Go app. And uh, yes, I'm aware we're a gym. Yes, I'm aware we're a red team gym. No, I don't want you playing it while I'm preaching. And uh, I'm not gonna be fooled thinking you're taking more notes than you've ever done before when you're playing Pokemon Go gym. So here's the thing. I wanna take a deep dive into a story. If you open the app, you open the Bible section, it'll take you to my favourite author, a guy named Mark. Favourite, because with a name like that. <laughs> what can I say? The story, let's just hold that back, Zodwa, please. I'll give you the backstory to this story. Jesus was teaching and He'd been teaching for several days. He'd been, and a large crowd was following Him. Wherever He was teaching, wherever He went in this particular instance, and actually many times throughout history, large crowds would follow Him. And in this case, there was a crowd that, that is written as being 4,000. But actually, because of cultural differences, it wouldn't have been 4,000. In fact, culturally, they only counted the men back then. Don't look at me. I don't agree with that. Just saying that's how it was. So they say there's 4,000 people following Jesus. Typically, it would have been the wives and and, and the children. So the number would have been more than 10,000. And they'd been following Him and listening to His teaching for several days. In fact, they'd been so intent on following Him, so intent on listening to His teaching, that after three days, He was done teaching and He considered sending them home. They, they, they'd put themselves out there so incredibly to be near Jesus, that his, his biggest concern is that if we send them home, that many of them won't make it alive. They'll starve to death between here and getting home because they've been hanging around with me and we haven't stopped for food because we've been teaching God's Word, which is the bread of life. And so He said, well, let's, how about before we send them off, how about we feed them? Says to His disciples, how about we feed them? And so they discovered that they had between them seven loaves of bread 
and a few fish. Now, you know that seven loaves of bread and a few fish is certainly not enough to feed 10,000 plus people, but that's not how Jesus works. He doesn't look at things the way that we look at things and his mathematics don't line up with our mathematics. And in fact, what he asks us to do is not present what we don't have, but present what we do have. And he multiplies not just what's in our hand, but what we submit to his hand. And so the disciples handed over to him seven loaves of bread and a few fish and they went around and broke it up and, and distributed it to the crowd and the crowd ate all they could eat. And the disciples then, 12 of them, went and collected the leftovers. And after collecting the leftovers, they had baskets and baskets and baskets of leftovers after feeding over 10,000 people. And so Jesus and the disciples, they were done, sent the people off, bellies full, got in a boat, went to another location. When they got to the next location, the Pharisees were waiting for them. The Pharisees are the religious rulers, the people who um, majored on the minors in their day. And, uh, and they said to Jesus, hey, buddy, give us a sign that you really are who you say you are. Tell us, show us whether or not you're qualified. And, and Jesus, he's not, a, he's not a vending machine. He's not there just to do people's party tricks. So he said, no, I'm not gonna do that. They pushed off in the boat, but he said to his disciples, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now the bread analogy, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. Now his disciples sometimes are a little bit slow on the uptake. So Jesus, when He said, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, He was actually referring to self-righteousness. Beware that you don't puff yourself up like the Pharisees do. Be, be, beware that you don't think that, that, that somehow you're God's gift to God. That, that somehow because of all the things that you've done right and you've done well and you do perfectly, that that's what's gonna get God's approval and God's acceptance. Just beware of that. But they didn't understand that that's what He was talking about, self-righteousness. So instead they discussed with one another and they said, um, it's because we have no bread. Because what had happened is when they got in the boat, they forgot to put the bread on the boat. So they sailed across the other side, they didn't bring bread. Jesus used a yeast metaphor and they go, oh, I think He's just kind of giving us a hard time because we forgot the bread. Aware of their discussion, Jesus asked them, why are you talking about having no bread? Do you still not see or understand? Are your hearts hardened? Do you have eyes but fail to see and ears but fail to hear? And don't you remember when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, because this what Jesus had just done before they set sail, that wasn't the first time He'd done that. He was getting pretty good at this. So there was a time before, and he, so he asked them, when I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many basketful of pieces did you pick up? 12, they replied. Yeah, all right. And when I broke the seven loaves for the 4,000, meaning just a moment ago, how many basketfuls of pieces did you pick up? They answered, seven. And he said to them, do you still not understand? They were in the boat with the bread of life. Jesus doesn't need them to remember bread. He was bread. And He's trying to get them to see that, to understand that. And you know, we could insert the eye roll emoji now into this, stupid disciples, get a clue. The problem is, and what we need to understand is, we read the Bible, we see the big picture. They didn't see the big picture because the people that are in the Bible didn't know they were gonna be in the Bible. They were just living life scene by scene, right? 
But, 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 but that hasn't changed. We live life scene by scene. And because we live life scene by scene, just like they were living life scene by scene, we don't always see the big picture because we experience life in pieces. Now, I mentioned that uh, just uh, coming up on August 1st, as it happens, I'll have been leading here for six years. And um, one of the things about stepping into a new leadership role is most of the time, you don't get to come with a pre-assembled team. I, I didn't come to this role with a pre-assembled team. You gotta start building with the pieces that God's given you. There's not a warehouse to go and pick up more leaders. You can't buy them on Amazon. God gives you pieces, people to, to, to start building. And some of those pieces, all of them, are broken. When Jesus was sent into the world by God, He didn't get sent with a pre-assembled team. God didn't say, Jesus, you go and the top 12 draft picks from the angels go with Him. He just sent Jesus and Jesus had to go and pick His team. And He picked 12 very, very broken people. Now, we can look back and say, oh, they weren't broken. How could they be broken? They're freaking heroes, man. We read all about their faith exploits. No, 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 they were broken. Yeah, pretty broken. Jesus actually chose broken people. Didn't kind of just have them fall backwards into His lap. He went out and picked broken people to fulfil the plan God had given Him. And in case you didn't think they were broken, here's a little something I found this week. It's a, uh, it's a report from the Jordan Management Consultants. Jesus had hired them after presenting a list to, to, to them of His 12 uh, preferred candidates. He asked them to come and do a little bit of a review before He started the job. So the Jordan Management Consultants wrote this memorandum to Jesus. Dear Sir, thank you for submitting the resumes of the 12 men you have picked for managerial positions in your new organisation. All of them have now taken our battery of tests and we have not only run the results through our computer, but also arranged personal interviews for each of them with our psychologist and vocational aptitude consultant. It is the opinion of the staff that most of your nominees are lacking in background, education, and vocational aptitude for the type of enterprise you're undertaking. They do not have the team concept. We would recommend that you continue your search for persons of experience in managerial ability and proven capability. Simon Peter is emotionally unstable and given to fits of temper. Andrew has absolutely no qualities of leadership. The two brothers, James and John, the sons of Zebedee, place personal interest above company loyalty. Thomas demonstrates a questioning attitude that would lend, tend to undermine morale. We feel it's our duty to tell you that Matthew had been blacklisted by the Greater Jerusalem Better Business Bureau. James, the son of Alpheus and Thaddeus definitely have radical leanings and they've both registered a high score on the manic depressive scale. One of the candidates, however, shows great potential. He's a man of ability and resourcefulness, meets people well, has a keen business mind, and has contacts in high places. He's highly motivated, ambitious, and responsible. 
we recommend Judas Iscariot as your controller and right-hand man. All of the other profiles are self-explanatory. Aren't you glad that God doesn't pick people like people pick people? Because if God picked people like people pick people, some of you wouldn't have got picked. Some of you look at your past and wonder how in the world you got picked, but look at you, you got picked anyway. Some of you have statements echoing around your brain from people who said you weren't worthy of getting picked, but look at you, today you got picked anyway because God doesn't pick people the way people pick people. Too often we focus on what's missing and overlook what's possible. It happened when they told the Beatles they had no future as a band. It happened when they told Walt Disney he lacked imagination. In 2009, a scout, former NBA coach now working as a scout in the NBA, submitted a scouting report about a particular individual that he was called to go and and visit in a small college. And he put in his pre-draft scouting report at the end of, of his assessment. And it was a report listing his perceived weaknesses of this college player. He listed 15 perceived weaknesses, and I'll just quickly walk through them. Not a true point guard was number one. Out of control at times. Number three, poor shot selection. Stuck between point guard and off guard. Questionable ability to defend position at next level. Poor lateral quickness. Versatility to depend, defend multiple positions lacking. Uh, limited upside if you were to draft him. He's a backup or fringe starter at best. The small college he's in makes it difficult to evaluate because he hasn't played against players of great ability. He has average athleticism, number 12 average size, average wingspan, frail frame and relies too heavily on his outside shot. That was 2009, but if you've been following the NBA recently, you might have seen and noticed that Steph Curry's doing okay. The scouting report isn't the last word on your potential. In fact, some of you need to fire your scout. Some of you need to fire some of your friends who focus on what's missing in your life instead of talking and speaking life into your potential. Some of you need to fire the chatterbox. Some of you need to fire yourself, get a better scout. The Warriors GM, who Steph Curry now plays for, has since written, what people didn't, who didn't like him didn't see is he's a tremendous worker and cares about the game. And if you look back, he's gotten better every single year. If you liked him then, 2009, you saw a glimpse of what he could become. Because potential is realised in pieces. You will not wake up one day and look on your bedside table and discover that absolutely everything you need to fulfil the, the calling God has given you has magically appeared overnight. 
You need to be prepared, but you'll never be ready. That's the faith gap. You need to be prepared, do everything you know to do, but you'll never be ready because potential is realised in pieces. Now, our little nephew, Isaac, normally it's Louis's job to tell you Isaac's stories. I'm gonna throw one in this morning. A little, our little nephew, Isaac's turning two on August 16. And uh, Uncle Mark, he can't say Uncle Mark. He goes, <laughs> I'm, <laughs> uh, has, um, I, I decided I was gonna go buy him a gift. So I got him a gift. Um, it's, uh, I did some research, I, I, I don't do Star Wars, but I checked in with a couple of our Star Wars geeks and they tell me this is a Naboo fighter, not a Nabu, Nobu, don't confuse it with the Japanese chain of restaurants owned by Robert De Niro. Uh, it's an it's a N1 Nabu, 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 I promised my, I wouldn't get that wrong. Nabu, sorry Tom, uh, uh, Starfighter. So I thought it'd be great. He's a kid, he loves stuff like this. Big, he, 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 all he can say is at the moment, big truck, big car, big bike. So he's into trucks, cars and bikes. Well, thought I'd expand his horizons, good old Uncle Mark, and get him into Starfighters. So they've got to park across the road, we've got to park across the road. So little Isaac can come over, and me and little Isaac, we can go What noise do they make? No noise, right? Boring. Yeah, it's like having an electric Formula One car. Um, anyway, so be cool. Good, huh? Good gift, boy. Cool, just take out the box. He takes it out of the box. Pull it out and we start flying it. Cool, huh? Ah. Um, I got this from Amazon. I don't know if they take returns. They think they sold me a broken one. Because all I got is pieces. I mean, you know, like every doting uncle, I think my nephew's a genius, but what do you think, Paul? Isaac, age two, probably not gonna happen, right? Bugger. This is a problem. Well, the fact of the matter is, This is life. We sign up for the picture and God hands us some pieces. And the question we then have to ask ourselves is what are we gonna do when the pieces don't look like the picture? This is when you were walking down the aisle to meet your, you know, Romeo and marry him. This is what you were signing up for, but this is what you were given. If you've been married less than five years, you should be going, I don't know what you're talking about, Mark. 
Our, our life's just all about the picture. Well, give it a little bit more time. Some of you decided that you were going to make babies and you made babies and you said, we're going to raise a world changer. And God said, that's great. Now go change a nappy. Junior, you have a picture of his or her potential, but you get given pieces. And, and, and as parents, you see the picture better than Junior sees the picture, which is why you get so frustrated sometimes when you talk with Junior about the picture and how they're just playing with the broken pieces and not building the broken pieces to start to look like the picture, but they can't see the picture because they don't see the view that you see, but you gotta think about it. Did you see the view that you see when you were their age either? No, you didn't. So that's where you gotta have patience to help Junior put the pieces together like the picture. It's a process. I'm gonna get extra points for alliteration today. But here's the thing I just noticed. That the Naboo, Tom, Naboo fighter comes with a plan. Yeah, I know Isaac can't read this. It's probably gonna be my job. I can't read it either. Like an Ikea book, useless. God gives us pieces. He gives us a glimpse of the picture and our potential. And then he gives us a plan. And we take the plan, apply it to the pieces. And then it becomes a process of purpose to put together the pieces to ultimately look like the picture. I know, amazing, huh? Let me ask you one more question before we finish. I put up earlier the question, the story, the cautionary tale, I called it, of a young man, a rich young man who came to Jesus and, and asked him, what, what must I do to have eternal life? The good thing is that the answer is rather simple. And the answer is that we are to ask Jesus to take control, to, to be the Lord of our life, to, to, that we place our faith in Him and our trust in Him. And if you've never done that, then we're gonna give you that opportunity right now to say, Jesus, I wanna give you control. I wanna put my trust and my faith in you, make you my Lord. And all I want you to do for those of you that need to make that decision is in a moment, just put your hand up. You're saying, God, that's me today. And when I see a hand, you can put it down and we're gonna quickly pray. So for those of you that need to make that decision, just you quickly put your hand up now. When I see a hand, you can put it down. You're saying, Jesus, yes, that's me today. I want that eternal life. I want a relationship with you. I wanna put my trust and my faith in you. Just put your hand up real quickly. I don't wanna miss anyone. Someone stretching or someone putting their hand up. Get on your sweetheart. You can never tell these days. Awesome, fantastic. So one person put their hand up and 
we're going to pray together. So you don't have to stand up. We're going to just pray. I'm going to say a word or a sentence, and I want you to say this prayer after me. So, but real loud, real passion. Drown out the rain in case God can't hear us. Stewie. What's that? Dear Jesus, today I decide to follow you. I place my trust in you. From this day forward, I will follow you. I thank you for forgiving me of my sins. I thank you for giving me a brand new start. I thank you that my best days are ahead. I thank you that with you, I can put the pieces together to live the plan that you have for my life. In Jesus' name, I pray. Everybody said amen and everybody went crazy.